1: It's 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News to re-explain marijuana laws so you can change them. I'm producer Lauren. How are you doing, Tom?
2: Oh, I'm doing pretty well, and uh, shout out to Miggy, our co-host, who had to rush his uh, wife to the hospital because she has injured herself, and I hope that she's uh, got a swift recovery and she's feeling better. That really does stink that he's not able to join us, but we have a big story on Delta Eight THC and other uh, cannabinoid derivatives that are popular in hemp. And so, a uh, friend of the show, former guest Rod Kite, and his law blog is reporting that Delta Eight or D which was recently confirmed by the Drug Enforcement Administration in two separate public halls uh, to be a legal substance under the Farm Bill. Uh, So the first uh, DEA statement in public was at a town hall meeting uh, quite a bit ago on June 24th of this year, uh, conducted by the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. In that town hall, the USDA is represented by a Bill Richmond, chief of the U.S. domestic hemp producer. Production program. The DEA is represented by a Sean Mitchell, Chief of Intergovernmental Affairs. The ACS, is represented by Holly Bell, the director of cannabis. During the tall the town hall, Ms. Bell asked Mr. Mitchell of the DEA the following on Delta 8. D8 is legal to be sold in Florida. For it to be illegal, it would require a statutory change. This has come up. Let's get to the remainder of his quote. And we have a statement out on our website, which you can read, and how we monitor and regulate that it, we do monitor, regulate it, is that we pull products and test them for their total THC, which is the formula we use here, which is THCA times 0.877 plus the Delta 9. So the number must be below 0.3 or less. And I know that. Sean has received several questions saying that DEA is making or has said that D8 is illegal. Would you take a quick second and talk about that? And in response, he says, uh, and this is Mr. Mitchell uh, stating this on behalf of DEA. Sure, and I want to expand behind uh, Delta 8. There's Delta 8 and there's Delta 10. There's all kinds of different cannabinoids that are associated with cannabis sativa uh, and uh, sativa i that are kind of out there, that has to be him like talking, and that can't be exactly what it said, that are associated with cannabis sativa and that are kind of out there and making the rounds. So, what I wanted to say, and I'll be very uh, deliberate and clear, uh, at this time I repeat again that at this time, per the Farm Bill, the only thing that is a controlled substance is Delta 9 THC with a 0.3% or greater on a dry weight basis, or a greater than 0.3%, because if it's at 0.3, you're still okay. But if you're at 0.31, you're not. Um I am also on a thing I don't know I was reading off of a script so I couldn't see who it actually was
1: Yeah. So how does this lead into our next story about Texas? There's some news out of Texas where they're smoking Delta 9 THC.
2: Yeah, that one's pretty interesting. But let's let's get to the second story after we look at the thing that just came out approximately six weeks ago on September 15th. So that was what you just had up that letter, the uh, DEA public statement to the Alabama Board of Pharmacy. The DEA publicly addressed uh, the legal status of D8 again in the form of a response letter to the Alabama uh, Board of Pharmacy dated September 15th of this year. In the letter, uh, Terrence Booz, PhD, chief of the DEA's Drug and Chemical Evaluation Section of Diversion Control Division, the Diversion Control Division, responds to the ABOP's request for a controlled status of Delta-8, which are differing between legal status of marijuana and hemp, both of which are botanically cannabis sativa. The DEA clarified cannabinoids extracted from the cannabis plant that have a Delta-9 THC concentration of not more than 0.3% on a dry weight basis meet the definition of hemp. And thus are not controlled under the CSA. Uh, additionally, the DA states the following footnote the Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, of course, that's also known as the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, and then it gives the citation amended the CSA to remove tetrahydrocannabinols from hemp. Uh, in th- from the Controlled Substances Act, so tetrahydrocannabinols that are found in hemp are no longer in the Controlled Substances Act, and uh, the meaning of hemp is defined to include the plant Cannabis sativa L. and any part of that plant, including seeds and their derivatives, extracts, cannabinoids, isomers, acids, salts, and salts of isomers, whether growing or not, with a delta nine THC concentration of not more than 0.3 percent on a dry weight basis. So that is the statistical definition. Well, it's not statistical. That is the actual literal definition of uh, hemp under the. Farm bill, and, and therefore it's not just only tetrahydrocannabinol or other derived from other cannabis plant, but uh, it's not synthetically derived THC. That is different. And so, if you have hemp, and then from that hemp with the uh, CBG being the uh, origin, CBD into THC, all those types of uh, chemical processes you can do, provided that you started from the original hemp, it appears that the, the DEA doesn't mind it. It's, uh, it, But they did clarify that D8 produced from non-cannabis materials, or synthetic THC means THC produced from materials other than hemp, uh, which would make it illegal. So it is both legal and not illegal. but. Good times. <laughs> so,
1: so, what does this mean for like states that banned it already?
2: Uh, it well, you have to understand the police power uh, is at a state and local level, uh, and so uh, they have the ability to do their enforcement locally. Mm. And so, if like Alabama or Texas, and Texas just you know what they were saying is correct, you're not allowed to do these legislative leaps. <laughs> They don't care. Sometimes they just say that they're going to do it, uh, especially when they're in the enforcement wing. So like if it's the um, the Department of Agriculture or the department that's that's regulating that plant, they just might have uh, a prejudice against it. And so uh, with Kentucky, Kentucky's Department of Agriculture put out something. uh, Texas has just put out something. Neither one of them actually legislated it. And so they do have that supremacy clause issue where at the federal level, it says Delta nine THC It doesn't say total. Uh, You look at the post office, they just say THC. They don't say anything else. And they still say don't mail vapes. So it's a very interesting part. But, yeah, uh, I'm going to I actually had uh, somebody in the office update the uh, Delta 8 opinion letter. Uh, And so I'm going to send out updated ones of those to the clients next week because it seems that it's still legal. But uh, in a particular jurisdiction, being like Texas or Kentucky or Alabama, they may still uh, say, no, it's not. And same with like Michigan or New York. They always try to say, well, you can have this Delta 9 stuff, but you can't have the Delta 8 stuff, uh, which is just silly. Yeah. So there is another cannabinoid that's out there, Delta-9-THC. Move aside, Delta-8-THC. Texas smoke shops are now filling up with legal Delta-9-THC, according to the Dallas Observer. Uh, And so uh, Texas was one of those states that has recently declared by fiat, not by legislative action, that THC, uh, Delta-8, is illegal. So they have gone right up to the edge of 0.3% Delta-9-THC. So last month, the DS H S. What is the D? The Dallas Self Safety and Health Services, maybe? Maybe that's what the Texas Department of State
1: Health Services.
2: The oh I see. And so the D must have been a typo. The Texas State no the Texas Department of State Health Services. So the D S H S, but it'd be like the T D. So it's Texas Department of State Health Services. Um they banned the THC isomers, which would, of course, include the Delta-8, and they try to schedule one of those under their state laws. Uh, however, some shops are stocking up Delta-9 products, saying they're illegal and still get consumers stoned, which is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, before they issued their statement on October 15th, the consensus was that Delta-8 smokables, edibles, and vapes were legal because federal and state law allowed for the sale of products that included less than 0.3% Delta-9. Uh, and the, 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 Oh, yes, and so that's why they were only looking at the the Delta-9, not the Delta-8, but uh, the DSHS argued that House Bill 1325 permits only hemp products with less than 0.3% Delta-9, while other forms of THC, including Delta-8 or Delta-10 or THCO, are still considered a Schedule one controlled substance but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh that's what the federal laws say but who's enforcing the federal laws in texas so um it is pretty interesting like one of the things that you can do on these types of deals is you can actually do the math it's 0.3 percent on a dry weight basis so what happens if you have like a five how much does a gummy weigh does a gummy re- weigh like like as much as a nickel like five grams so if a gummy weighs five grams that's 5,000 milligrams. And to get uh, a dose, you would need 10 milligrams. And so out of that 5,000 milligrams, what's 1%? Well, uh, 1% might be 50 milligrams. Well, what's 0.3%? Well, let's find out. Times 003 that might not do it. That might only be 3%. I need to do 0.003. That'll do it. 15 milligrams. So if you have a five milligram gummy, you can have 15 milligrams of THC Delta 9 in that. Uh, that's a pretty thick gummy. You know, yeah. it, it has 15 milligrams. And so then you could just say, hey, it's it's 0.3% on a dry weight basis. It's a five milligram gummy. And there's only 15 milligrams per gummy.
1: This is big news. I mean, they have edibles, they have flour. Yeah. Um, They have edibles, they
2: have flour, I guess it's kind of hemp processors are selling it. Hemp producers, a lot of gas stations are selling it. A lot of people that have the retail, I mean, the the hemp industry is fairly large. It's not as large as the uh, THC industry for obvious reasons, but you know, it's the only thing that they're really allowed to sell uh, without the types of regulation that uh, the THC licenses have to face.
1: Yeah. So it's going to be easier for entrepreneurs to get started. I mean, compared to what's going on in Illinois, Uh, if if it's just like a gas station, they can...
2: Right. If it's just like a gas station, they can get in, but then the the profit margins on it uh, aren't as great. Uh, it's Delta Eight is okay, I guess, but the Delta Nine, yeah, that would be nice. But then you're really only limited to edibles. Uh, oh. as you can't. You'd have to spin that stuff, and then you're going to take the THC, and then you're going to mix it with the gummies so it, it stays compliant. But it's still using the government's lack of understanding of the plant to, you know, have a market against them. The the law says what the law says. Sorry that Congress didn't understand the facts when they were finding them. You know,
1: is it do you know if it's taxed similarly, similarly,
2: no tax. And so like, okay. it's, it's completely different. Like they took uh, hemp out of the Controlled Substances Act, provided that it has that amount of THC or less per dry weight basis. You know, you, you just you're fine. What what are they going to do in the future? I have no idea. Uh, how are they going to define it? We'll find out in the 2022 Farm Bill, which is next year's problem.
1: So all this could change in
2: 2022. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's kind of that's what happened in 2014. That's what happened in 2018. Uh, they t- two different definitions of hemp. The definition of hemp will probably be also different in 2022, and they might try as best as they can to uh, sew this loophole up. Uh, maybe they'll move the word delta nine and just have it say THC. But THCO, THCP, delta nine THC. Even with the 0.3% on a dry weight basis, they could make 15 milligram gummies that weigh five grams. And, you know, they'd be selling those all day. So, like, why would you get an infuser's license yeah. if you wanted to make edibles? Uh, you should get a hemp processor's license, especially in Illinois, especially when you have uh, the products that you just can't sell. Uh, because let's say you get that infuser license, you can't make ice cream. You can't make uh, baked goods. You have to follow. Like, how do you, how are you going to make that your scone is in a sealed, odor proof, child proof container, right? Uh, and then there's regulations that say no frozen products, and so ice creams out, uh, which makes no sense. Is that you can't you can't have ice cream? Why? Because it appeals to children. So what? We're going to just now sue cookies because they appeal to the children? No. no. Um, It's it's an interesting little problem, but it just has to do with people not understand and they trivialize the plant. And so even people that are not in the industry, they still look at it like it's, you know, bad. You should be doing something better with your life than weed. Mm -hmm. That 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 stigma is against it to this day.
1: Yeah, for sure. But I mean, hey, Texans have fun out there. That seems sounds like a like nice market, untaxed edibles, like 15 max. Milligrams of
2: THC? No, no. The, that was using the, uh, um, you know, we took a 5-gram gummy and then said, mm-hmm. okay, well, what's 0.3% of a 5-gram gummy? Well, if there's 5,000 milligrams in that gummy, uh, you know, 15 milligrams would be 0.3%. And, and therefore, you could have a 15-milligram gummy that weighs 5 grams that would be compliant with the hemp bill. So, yeah, you could make those gummies all day. And then I just, you know, depending on what the actual, because I don't know if an actual gummy weighs five grams or if a gummy weighs 10 grams. I've never weighed a gummy. Uh, I I should, I guess. But um, for right now, I just haven't. Uh, And, you know, why? Um, But, you know. (laughs) There's there's ways. Yeah. So you you can have and it's going to be an interesting arbitrage opportunity for the people that are going to make those 15 milligram gummies and sell them at a gas station versus the people uh, that are going to have a cannabis license buy the hemp and then, you know, distill it themselves and then sell it at a dispensary for a higher price point. I'm not even sure if you'd be able to tell the difference between the two. I mean, you could if like, yeah, uh, it depends on like the other ingredients that you put in there besides the THC how well it's going to taste. Uh, and then I, I would imagine that the gas station brands care a lot more about money than, than quality, mm. but you know, prove me wrong. Gas station brands prove me
1: wrong. I'm sure they have more freedom though, to test and like experiment with different flavors and different additives because they're not like a, that's right canvas business.
2: So that's right. So they could actually explore flavors that might appeal to children as opposed. And then New Jersey is really regulated. So if you wanted to make an edible business in Jersey, you'd almost want to do this and not the other one. I mean, you'd try to like create a brand and then see if you can, you know, go backwards into getting the THC license if you even need it because that THC, your profit, I mean, you'd have to create your spreadsheets and see what your, your PNLs would look like. And then you wouldn't have to have the regulatory aspect, the banking aspect. I mean, for a bank account, you're probably talking $1,500 a month just to have it. You know, that's 18000 a year just to have a bank account because you're a cannabis company. Good
1: luck. Jared Cardenas said the complexity is unnecessary. It's too complicated. Uh, yeah, that's so true. I feel like it's just so high learning. You have to hire somebody like you to like understand what the heck is going on. And they oh. make it like confusing on purpose.
2: They right? do. They do. They, they've made it like opening a hospital or a casino where they're really trying. And it goes back to their uh, misunderstanding of the product. Mm-hmm. So if it was really as dangerous as gambling or even as alcohol, the, the regulations, I think, would be about right. But then uh, when you look at how dangerous it actually is, it, the regulations should be substantially less the education aspect of it though. And then the, once you get your license, you pull up the, you know, the ladder. So nobody else can get theirs. We don't need any more of these licenses. I have the license for this 30 square miles and I'm doing just fine. Uh, And that happens. Um, And so like, why would we get more competitors? You know, because freedom? No. Uh, And, and, and so you have those two problems. And now that they're going to have this limited market and meanwhile, a, an edible company, if they really wanted to make their edibles and have freedom, would be using hemp. But um, it becomes really difficult then, and ballsy, uh, as somebody's gonna have like just Delta-9 derived from hemp, because it's there. Uh, and that Delta-9 would then be used in making a final product who's by dry weight basis would test compliantly. Uh, that wall in processing hemp, though, it's clearly THC. And so somebody's got like a liter of oil that's like pretty much pure THC somewhere as they're making those baked goods or as it's making those edibles. And if the DEA wanted to, they oh. could um, come in and stop it. Or uh, let's say the, you know, entrepreneurial New Jerseyans like, you're right, I can't make gummies. This is stupid or, or, or ice cream. So they get a hemp processor's license instead because it's far easier and they make these compliant products and they sell them in gas stations and they get a brand. Um, would the people that actually spent the larger money to get the other license try to shut them down? Probably.
1: <laughs> well, it's that time. 420. See you on the it other is. side. Yeah. Okay. Oh. All right, the next story out of the Herald Net Mountain Town uh, marijuana mishap was quite the stinker. They're having a Mm. issue.
2: This is par for the course in headlines for cannabis using a pun in the headline. Yeah. There are some uh, editors in uh, journalism that read a cannabis headline and say, you know what? That should really be a pun. Come back when that's a pun, and that is a a story that I'll print. So Mountain Town's mishap was quite the stinker. What this basically means is their odor mitigation system failed. So uh, a commercial grow has to very often have an odor mitigation system or an anti-nuisance policy. Uh, The nuisance, of course, being the smell of sweet, sweet, delicious cannabis, uh, and, and the flowers in particular so um odor mitigation and then there's various regulations depending on which one you're looking at like in colorado or something they actually have it defined in like parts per million or something in the air and they have these very special smelling uh testers that they'll go out and smell around your your cultivation facility to see if you're a compliant and that might not be at the state level that might be just like one particular community that's like yeah we don't like how it smells <sighs> Yeah, and so that's the type of stuff that creates these um, uh, odor mitigation um, requirements for mm-hmm. the operation uh, and his farm where was he? is he in uh, montana
1: darrington Washington Greenhaven
2: no, they're in Washington and so Washington does probably also have very similar odor mitigation uh, regulations and there it goes so um
1: yep Vince when he said um while pumping out up to 300 pounds of butt a month, carbon filters and negative pressure work to eliminate the odor. Over the last few weeks, uh, the filtered vents slowly failed one by one. He said, We didn't even notice.
2: So, didn't even notice because we like how it smells. The other people that don't like how it smells are like, Hey, it smells like weed. Where's that weed farm that makes 300 pounds a month?
1: Yeah, apparently the neighbors said on Facebook it smells like a skunk smoking weed. So it must have been
2: thick. <laughs> well, uh, they they are probably also smelling uh, thymol or something like that, and I mean, the skunk uh, causing terpene is an interesting one, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's just it's just unfortunate that many people don't enjoy the smell of weed, and we yeah. have to put up with their regulations. At least they're not arresting the guy, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that is kind of nice. And, and then again, like so, if you're making uh, three hundred pounds a month, that is probably like five to seven thousand square feet of. Flowering canopy, maybe ten thousand, depending on his growing. But you know that's that's a fairly large, fairly large operation. Uh-huh. It's not huge by any means. It would be enough to move some product and to to pay some bills, which is nice. It's a, not a huge farm. Uh, and then the vents, like people, he said, can break, get sick, fail, and those consistently surrounding the stinky stuff. It's hard to notice the smell of fresh weed where where it shouldn't have been.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. And according to the Puget Sound Clean Air Agency, the question of whether it reeks or rules is uh, irrelevant. Even delicious smells can constitute as a nuisance.
2: Oh, of course, delicious smells can constitute as a nuisance. Can you imagine if you're trying to work and all it does is smell like cupcakes or cookies? You know, if you uh, it, that that would be terrible. But uh, compliance director Stephen Van Slyke recalled one case where French onion soup simmering in a factor, mm. simmering in a factory was strong enough to prompt enforcement. Fascinating. And so how do they do their sniff test in Seattle? Uh, this is something that we uh, might need to ask uh, compliance director, Steve Van like uh, And so it's it's interesting. to get. Yeah, on. Least, oh, go it ahead. Like at have
1: levels, le- levels two and four. Uh, level two is a distinct and definite order.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you don't want level one, which is the order is so strong that a person does not want to remain present. Interesting. Uh, but that's I, so differing. I mean, people have different noses. Sensors. I don't know. Like, do they have like a measuring tool to define that or like a vote in Colorado?
2: Yeah. In Colorado, I remember those types of things where they actually And Colorado is a dual licensing system. And Seattle's more of a single licensing where you got the the license from the liquor and control board or whatever the LCB. I believe Miggy always talks about. So they just they issue it from the state level with uh, Colorado. It's more issued from the state and also the local level. And the local ones allow them to have a lot more variance. I thought that one of those municipalities actually required some type of like smell test or smellometer that would go out and try to detect uh, the uh, actual odor in it. But, you know, having a one and two a three and a four, that's a lot of uh, prejudice, not prejudice or caprice. I mean, like it's all the person who's doing the testing. Is that like, you know, who standardized his nose to say that's a one? Yeah. Right.
1: caprice That's a new vocab word for me.
2: There you go. You know I, I learned something having to suffer through law school all those years. Actually, it was only three. you know law school was almost as short as uh, it's been me in the cannabis industry, but you know one day it'll be me in the cannabis industry longer than law school.
1: So shall we move on to the next story?
2: Mm. Yeah, because I'm really not sure about the rest of this, a two hundred acre plot of of stuff, and I mean it seems like a completely different one. But the next story is a pretty interesting one out of the fresh toast. Cannabis legalization reduces suicide risk among middle-aged males, the Fresh Toast is reporting. Despite the ongoing marijuana legalization trends, there are still fierce opponents who insist that prohibition will lead to higher rates of mental illness and or suicide. Not true, according to a new study, and then from a whole bunch of safety schools, for example, Case Western Reserve University, uh, their school of medicine, uh, the Yale Law School, the Cato Institute, and the Reason Foundation, a place where nobody ever wants to you know, spend a career. And, and they've found, again, using their 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 education that they've learned from somewhere there's no correlation between cannabis use suicide and mental illness this is fantastic cuz this is actually something that's been um uh, it was substantiated by a previous study and then when you see studies substantiating other studies then you have like a trend and then eventually you're going to prove your hypothesis that no cannabis is not harmful that's pretty cool
1: yeah i mean good news do you remember that there was like a a bill that was being drafted in Cal in Colorado about teens smoking weed and like wanting to kill themselves or something. Do you remember that? I don't remember stories that. Stories floating around, but
2: oh yeah. And then the, that one guy that shot up all those people said, "Hey, people shouldn't do drugs. People are smoking yeah. marijuana now." And I'm like, "Dude, a lot of people smoking marijuana. You're the one who shot up a whole bunch of people." Yeah. <laughs> so why are you blaming other things for the shit that you did? That was terrible. Because people like to blame other things; it's what they do. Yeah,
1: I clearly thought that would help him. Mm-hmm. It's just really sad. But in yeah. a um, contrarian or contradictory story, according to Yahoo News and this uh, professor out of the University of Michigan weed withdrawal. More than half of people using medical cannabis for pain experience withdrawal symptoms.
2: Yes, that's another interesting one. I've been watching the Dope Sick on the Hulu and uh, the Dope Sick on the Hulu, they do some very terrifying uh, withdrawal symptoms from uh, OxyContin. Mm. Those are withdrawal symptoms. Uh, My withdrawal symptoms from weed has been being cranky and irritable. And then, (laughs) um, you know, you might not be able to sleep a little bit for a night but if you don't think about it you're usually fine or if you go like work out or if you you know eat something you're fine uh with the withdrawal symptoms that come from those opioids especially the oxycontin as documented in like dope sick that was a it's not sure if you checked out that um it's kind of like a it's got michael keaton in it so it's a
1: oh yeah i saw trailers for
2: that on hulu on hulu and so i've been watching i've been binging on that and they do this peculiar thing at the end of it. They do an advertisement for the next episode, and you're like, "Dude, I'm already watching it. I'm binging it. Just go to it." What the heck? Who, who coded this? But um, yeah, so it's good. And then it also shows the the dual double standard. Not like mean, we call, we we gripe about alcohol a lot, but we don't gripe near enough about Purdue Pharmaceuticals and what the Sackler family did in uh, marketing this drug under the auspices of curing pain. Um, by using an opioid and then by manipulating the FDA to say that their label is less addictive. And then they hire the guy who was in charge of FDA when they made them say that Um, man. And then like 500,000 people died and weed is still illegal. And that, then that was like, They were able to do marketing campaigns. They were able to write all that stuff off. They were able to get all those people super addicted. And and, last year, 90,000 people died. And here they are saying that more than half of medical cannabis pain users experience withdrawal systems. Can we, like, be a little bit more honest about how withdrawal works? Mm -hmm. Like, how many of them, you know, committed a crime to satisfy their needs? How many of them uh, had, uh, like, because you hear about alcoholics that are particularly bad at it, they may have real withdrawal symptoms where they may die, or, or same with heroin users because then they'll they'll relapse and they may die. Uh, where is that on cannabis? I mean, like giving up sugar was hard. Oh, that was tough. But you were fine. Yeah, it was fine. I think it's more like that. You get cranky, you get irritable, you're out of your uh, – when people get removed from their habits and their patterns that they do on a daily day basis, they get a little more irritable, you know?
1: Yeah. It's just – I'm glad that didn't, like, hit every cannabis page, like, on the front page because this is kind of just, like, a silly story. Everything you can get withdrawal symptoms from if you're, like, consuming it every day or just using it as medicine, you know? right and that's that's working out you can get withdrawal symptoms from not working out
2: and then what and caffeine caffeine withdrawal symptoms way worse Mm. yeah because if you have if you have the um sorry about that yeah there you go um uh, with caffeine it's the same thing and so i'm gonna have coffee tomorrow because i don't want to get a caffeine headache Mm -hmm. i've been drinking coffee for years it is delicious you know um that is different i mean like if i didn't have it i might get a headache and be irritable I'm not going to be like, you know, jonesing as if it was something addicted, like at the level of heroin or meth or or crack, something that's like exceedingly addictive, and that the lack of nuance in the discussion is the worst part. Like, they don't say, "Here's the relative um, withdrawal symptoms from stuff." They just say, "Oh, this is uh-huh. terror," you know.
1: Yeah, it sucks. We have to cover stories like this because i don't know it's just like should we half of me is like we should talk about it because they're clearly like trying to this reefer madness is still happening all over the place but the other half of me is like we shouldn't even give them the space to talk about it but i think it's important to present it to everybody because you can miss this type of stuff and not know what to say if somebody presents this to you like at a thanksgiving table so i guess what what would what would you say as a rebuttal to somebody who said you're going to have withdrawal symptoms if you smoke cannabis at Thanksgiving. Well, that's
2: one of those those uh, spectrums where it's like, oh, maybe I will. But my withdrawal symptoms will be milder than if I don't have my coffee tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They'll be milder than if I don't have my wine at the end of the day. They'll be milder than if I don't have my cigarette every, you know, how many hours. If, if they are a smoker like that, because uh, that one's the one that I think is a real bridge right there in the middle where it's like, this stuff's addictive for no good reason whatsoever. You'll have cigarettes, and then suddenly you're like, "I should have one of those." And You're like, "I don't even like them." You know, that's weird. Um, like with coffee, you could have it, and in your first cup, like if you're twelve, yeah, maybe you don't like it because it's bitter. Uh, but then you know when you're having it, then you can look at it, and you're like, "Oh, no, there's antioxidants in it. There's there's more things to it. It can also be a stimulant, um, a liver protectant." You know, you can look at it and say this is good for me. Like with cigarettes. It's just really difficult for you to look at and say, yeah, this is good for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that, should we play name that stream?
2: We should. This is a classic. This is a a type 2 cultivar. That's our hint for the day. What's that? A type 2 cultivar is a balanced cultivar. Type 1 would be a high THC strain. A type 2 would be a... uh, a hybrid with, like, you know, a ratio strain, and a type three would be essentially a CBD strain or a CBG strain. That that gets into type four. Type four still hasn't really been recognized uh, in the cannabis as much. That would be like your lesser uh, cannabinoids or your iris or you know other stuff. But um, yeah, that's generally how it breaks down. So this would be one of the ratio uh, CBD to THC strains, more of a balanced one, and uh, it's just great one of my faves.
1: I haven't had the chance to consume this one.
2: Well, shout out to Aaron at uh, Dockside Dispensary in the Seattle area. He actually uh, gifted me over at the uh, Gangier program uh, some alien something or other. (laughs) And it was a similar style of strain where it was a type two cannabis where you have a ratio of thc to cbd uh, and they're more balanced they're a little bit more medicinally active because of the entourage effect so if you want to you know depending on and what are you what are you using the cannabis for if some people are using the cannabis medicinally for like crohn's or for uh, autoimmune or or other issue oh, there alien rock candy thank you that uh, And uh, that was, I believe, the alien. This isn't, that's not this. That's the one that he gifted me. That was the alien rock candy. And that's uh, some delicious stuff. That's a a type two cultivar. Let me see if I can review my SAP journal from the Gangier app, which if you haven't done that yet, I highly. Oh, no, this one's called alien moon candy. It must have been a type of cross uh, similar to alien rock candy, but uh, yeah, it's a type two. And this one is is pretty interesting. I mean, the the MK Ultra is one of its parents. MK Ultra is one of its parents. That's the hint. Yep, that's another one. That and it's a type two, so it's a it's a ratio cannabis.
1: Okay, I'm gonna take I'm gonna watch these uh, comments roll in while you take this next story. All right. Nevada Marijuana
2: Dispensary along Idaho border cleared to open, according to the Hill uh, Marijuana Dispensary in Nevada, was cleared to open on Wednesday, uh, according to the Alco Daily Free Press. The $1.4 million dispensary, just a second, let me back up and make sure everybody just heard that. So this is a Nevada cannabis dispensary. And how much does that cost? Uh, 1.4 million at the border of Idaho, where it should do 3x revenues. That's because all those people in Idaho, they can't get weed. So they will drive there and they will have pretty good sales. Go figure. Now, that is an arbitrage opportunity that in theory would stop after federal legalization. But how quickly do you think Idaho is going to populate its jurisdictions through uh, with, with with cannabis? dispensaries or cultivation yeah i didn't think so either anyway uh in elko county commission uh, they approved a business license for thrive cannabis marketplace in a unanimous vote on wednesday Uh, the license was approved after undersheriff that is a rank that i didn't know that actually existed in undersheriff james justin ames said the business passed all law enforcement background checks similar to background checks for a person going into law enforcement. Dave Brown, a representative for the company, said the business could be open by Monday. 60% of the workers at the Jackpot business will be residents of the town. The company gave preference to Jackpot and Elko residents during the hiring process. According to the Free Press, the dispensary is 45 miles from the nearest city in Ohio on idaho thrive marketing director john ermineau previously told the twin falls times news that the business would be open all year round around the clock uh, i'm assuming around the clock means completely compliant with all regulations in the state of nevada there will be a drive through option and a brick and mortar store for people to walk into and this is the first legal dispensary along the idaho border a state that has yet to make marijuana legal but i do believe nope that's utah Utah has medical. I don't think Idaho has squat. Not squat. And if you like squat, don't forget to uh, likes and subscribes, and especially if you're listening on all the podcast verse, uh, we're, we're out there, whether it's Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts uh, or one of the other podcast providers that you can download stuff and listen to crap like this while you're doing something else, because let's face it, it's a podcast. It's built for you to do something else for.
1: We've got a winner, Boy No Shoes.
2: Oh, Boy No Shoes has picked Canatonic for the name that strain. That's right. Uh, uh, Lauren, you want to uh, explain the Canatonic strain?
1: Sure. According to Leafly, Canatonic is a mostly CB marijuana strain made by crossing MK Ultra and G13 Haze. This strain produces a relatively short-lived mellow high that is also uplifting and powerfully relaxing. Medical marijuana patients choose canatonic to treat pain, muscle spasms, anxiety, and migraines. The strain has a slightly earthy odor with a sweet citrus flavor. You gotta mm-hmm. check that out.
2: Yep, and that sounds like that alien moonshine that I was enjoying last week. They're great strains. We hope to be able to bring some of them to the marketplace. One of the things that, you know. I think it's often overlooked uh, because like, THC is just everybody's like, woo, I got 89 million percent. I'm like, that's cool. Um, but what were you using it for? And so when you have that, what were you using it for con- conversation, canatonics, those types. I mean, I think if you're an older person that's uh, looking to get back into it and they don't want to get like, they're like, oh, it's too strong now. I got to be really careful. Pick a strain like canatonic. Yeah, there you go, a grand pre-roll of it, and I'm sure that's going to be fine, but it won't be uh, too much as its it's got that synergistic effect with the CBD and the THC.
1: Do winners get a free ounce? One day. <laughs> <laughs> One
2: day, maybe. Oh, uh, yes. Remember, um there is nothing that's giving away except for ideas here, man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we get in trouble for giving away those. You know, that's the problem. It's like they, they bust our ass when we are giving away ideas. Can you imagine if we were giving away seeds? Um, uh, uh, so what's the next one that we have? Or is that? Philly. Philly. Philly, this was a bright spot on the election on Tuesday where the the phrase let's go branded means something against Joe Biden. Uh, We aren't going to be able to use the expletive because we're trying to avoid censors. So anyway, Philly, uh, they approved marijuana referendum calling for statewide legalization, which is interesting. The city of Philadelphia is telling the state or the Commonwealth, my bad, anybody who's listening from Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania what to do. So uh, the Philadelphia voters are sending a clear message along Lawmakers strongly approving a uh, ballot initiative, by a seventy-three to twenty-seven percent margin, and that was with all but ninety-six uh, percent of the electoral divisions of the city reporting. Pretty cool. Um, you know, so, Philadelphia. I don't know what percentage that city area is in Pennsylvania. What other big cities? There's Philly. There's Pittsburgh. That's about it for for Pennsylvania. What else is big in Pennsylvania? Oh, no. I think Lauren's on mute. Well, I also think that Cincinnati is not in Pennsylvania. That's in Ohio, uh, and so that that's clearly wrong. But, you know, it, it's 12 million people that are in Pennsylvania, and I have to think between C- Philly and Pittsburgh, that's got to be the vast majority of them. Like in Illinois, 63% of the people are in the Chicagoland area. So down where I'm at, it's like a lot of like – like. So I heard I saw a deer like that got killed by and that we have that we have just uh, deers that get run into and and farms. I saw somebody plowing because it is. And then that, that that's the stuff I'm used to. There's just nobody here. Uh, but in the most people 63% so 63% of our dispensaries are going to be in the Chicagoland BLS region. That's just where the, the people live. Uh, and so I'm assuming Philly is one of them.
1: So how much do you think this is going to like tip the scales where like, do they even really care? I feel like everybody else has already been saying we want weed and the government's just like, ah.
2: well, the, the, we want weed is really important. The problem then becomes how is the legislature uh, mm-hmm. composed? And so in Illinois, yeah. we have a, a super majority. It makes it easier to skate these things through in Wisconsin. You have a 51 49 kind of split and as a result, that means that the legislature has been able to be gerrymandered by one party so that Republicans win like 60% of the time despite being only 49% of the vote. So yeah. in, in Pennsylvania, they may have done something similar where to get this thing passed, it needs to be bipartisan. And for it needed to be bipartisan, it can become difficult. some people are going to want this and some people are going to want that. Mm -hmm. And then their constituencies are going to get upset and they're like, Hey, we make a lot of money off this in law enforcement. Why are you trying to vote for this? You know, Brandon. And then uh, somebody else would be like, this is right because we've been crapped on for the past 80 years and social equity needs to fix all these problems that never should have been done. But you guys were just jerks. (laughs) No other thing. than You guys were just jerks. Um, -hmm. Yeah, and 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 those types of you know policies th- that takes both parties when they can't jury or gerrymander it like you can as much in Illinois. I was really worried that uh, uh, Murphy was going to lose. He was the first yeah, Democrat in like forty years to win reelection, despite it being New Jersey. That might have thrown New Jersey cannabis. For a loop, and Virginia cannabis might be kind of you know thrown for a loop. We'll have to kind of see. Like vir- my price in Virginia might just go up because usually when the the Republicans come on, with the exception of Oklahoma, uh, it becomes more onerous, more regulated, more like Georgia or more like uh, South Dakota or Florida. Even Jersey's medical was extremely highly regulated and tiered toward the ATC. Green Thumb Industries application to get its first uh, ATC uh, alternative treatment center license in New Jersey back in like four years ago or so was saying we're bringing $40 million to the table. 40
1: million. Hmm. Yeah. Hard to turn away.
2: Well, not only that, the, the state's looking for trustworthiness. Who do they think is going to be able to actually execute and deliver uh, and, and provide the medicine to uh, the patients. That's one of the reasons why the MSOs would be so successful at winning those licenses, as they've already gotten a license in a different jurisdiction. So, you know, no risk. You just uh-huh. have to expand from here to there. You already have the knowledge. You already have the experience. You're already making the money. You already have the, the strains. This guy is politically connected to him. And, and, and so then with Illinois, now we have more of an open industry, but it's still quite limited. And the same thing I think is going to happen in, but with, with Virginia, oh my goodness, that could be like a really closed industry or it could be, who knows.
1: Yikes.
2: (laughs) Yikes. But then that's what it really means. You know Um, elections and the administration has to do a lot with the, even after it's been legalized, you know, you've seen it, like it's been legalized in South Dakota and they're like, nah, you know, yeah no and uh, same in Mississippi mm, not doing it and they just say no and then the voters come back and then they eventually Mississippi looks like it's getting closer and it looks like according to Mississippi's rules Mississippi's rules were an extremely open uh, medical market which was fascinating and then you know the uh, reading South Dakota's rules no it's not it's it's more along the lines of the Illinois style market where you need to pay a guy like me sixty seventy thousand dollars to this application because it's going to be like this And you just don't know that yet. You just want to open, you know?
1: Well, moving on to the next story. Police allegedly helped a legal multi million dollar marijuana operation. This is out of California, I believe. No, this one is out of Portland, Maine. And so shout out to Lucas, uh,
2: Lucas Striosis, I believe. I'm not actually sure how to pronounce his last name. Um, But. Uh, former viewer and caller Uh, and so now he has gotten uh, two allegedly again allegedly multi-million dollar marijuana operation this is exactly what happens and then so it's kind of close to what happened with true leaf you know like where they're just what's the allegation the feds are always going to bring against you if you have a license and you're starting to make it successfully
1: Mm.
2: bribery they're always going to bring it always like that's what they brought against the true leaves. Uh, and then so if they can sue truly, of course, they can sue you. Uh, and that's exactly what this complaint is alleging. So they were growing. They had licenses from the state for their medical, and they were doing distribution. So they hired some uh, law enforcement, and the business bought uh, some distribution trucks, some uh, some fairly nice uh, vehicles that, that were used for their business operations because the way that they – it was an innovative – uh, method of attacking a problem that a lot of people are doing now through the usage of uh, a regulatory gap. And so sometimes you might just make the wrong friend in the regulatory landscape. I mean, so now you have to worry about people first off, you got to pay $1,500 a month for a bank account. And then you have to worry about upsetting somebody. So they just want to like mess with you and they still can because then they can just say, well, you got this, you got this. And especially when you have the dual license one, because this is one of the dual licenses in states, you have to get the authority from the local community. So uh, like in uh, Massachusetts or in New Jersey coming soon, the, the favors or the like, how do you, if you get this thing approved, they're doing something for you. They're going to want you to do something for them. They aren't going to be able to say that they aren't going to. And so it's it, the politics gets into it as well. And that can, um, complicate your, your business even more, you know?
1: Yeah. It says here, uh, federal documents un- unsealed Wednesday. Uh, when one of the, Defendants pleaded guilty, revealed an elaborate program in which marijuana was grown in Western Maine for registered caregivers, but was sold outside of the program or by registered caregivers Mm -hmm. uh, with profits being laundered through a corporate structure. Twelve people were charged in the 14 count complaint. Yep.
2: And then again, there was a few uh, Sherry, uh, an assistant district attorney. Including yeah, including a Wrangley Select Board member, an assistant district attorney, two Franklin County sheriff's deputies, and Oxford County sheriff's deputy, and a Wilton police officer. Hmm. So again, uh, it—if you upset somebody, and they got some gears to grind against you, and you have these licenses, they might just try to come down because they can. And they say, like, oh, the only way that you got that was that you had friends over here, and then those friends did a favor for you, and then and suddenly you got this. You know, it's – and you're telling me that Chicago's not going to have stuff like this? This happened in Portland, Maine. You're telling me you, – you think Trenton's going to have stuff like this or, like, you know, Bridgeport? You know, uh, there's places where deals get done, and then this industry has coming to these jurisdictions. There is no way. I mean, like – U.S. attorneys that want to make uh, um, a name for themselves, they can and, until they change these
0: stupid laws.
1: It Maine is uh, the place we put out about last week when they had that really screwy uh, mean, lottery.
2: No, yeah, it wasn't screwy. It happened exactly how I told the people to do. Now, what you do is you just how much did they spend? Uh, You know, I I said, you just spend a whole bunch of money on the lottery tickets. If you have the real estate, it's real easy to win. So um, they had 700 applications, I want to say. And then these guys applied like half of them, like 350. Mm -hmm. So it was a $750 lottery ticket times 700. Yeah, that's that's about that's what they, the report was. They made about a half a million bucks. The city made about a half a million bucks, and just thank you very much. Thank you. I, of course, you know. Good luck. Good luck. Hope you don't bribe anybody. Good luck. Uh, and so that's that's a half a million dollars. So if you divide that by two, you get two hundred sixty-two thousand dollars. And so what I told them it's real easy. You just have to pay me like four or five thousand uh, dollars. I'll help you make sure you get into the lottery, and you then buy two hundred thousand dollars of lottery tickets. You will win. And and if they would have done that, they did. They won two out of three because they had 50 percent of the ping pong balls in the sample set. So when they drew the first one, they had a 50 percent chance. And then we have
1: a cap. Didn't we have a cap in Illinois?
2: Oh, not if you did it like the green and uh, exploited veterans. Uh, So if you did it like them, basically what you did is you got all your family members together uh, to a certain extent, if you needed to, uh, because you could have just gone over and then said, oh, I'm over. Can I sell these to somebody else? You know, and and I think that's kind of what they did. But they also had family members, uh, and and so you would find the the perfect unicorn, the social equity veteran, and you'd prove all, you'd certify that they actually have it. Great. Then you loan that company hundred thousand dollars and just buy lottery tickets, and then you would get seven of those guys, and that's what they did. So they applied one hundred eighty-five times, one point seven million dollars. Gross. And they won eighteen. They, they spent $1.7 million, and they made um, – uh, that's probably worth like a quarter billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so how does that reduce the barriers to entry if you're allowed to stuff lottery tickets? And, and then they did it in Kittery, Maine. Right now, like, Ohio's actually doing a really good job of fighting against it. So the Ohio the lottery is just – they're just locking you out It's like, they, the same thing, like, you know, the Q, Q and a is going on in Ohio, just like it did in Illinois. So the Q and a is going on and, and you're looking at it and you're like, I mean, I can't do that. I can't do that. So like all the statistical edge that you were planning on doing is just getting knocked out and it's becoming more and more. If you have the real estate, that's great. And then you need to be able to say, okay, you can put as many on this real estate as you want, but then very often the person who's putting on that thing on the real estate, they want to win, so they don't want to dilute their own pool. Yeah.
1: Mm.
2: So it's a different It's a. – it'll be interesting to see the Ohio numbers. I know it's still thick. There's still a lot of demand, just a lot. And and it's, and it's interesting because we've crunched the Ohio numbers. It's not that profitable right now. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. We'll keep an eye on that. But for this last story, I think it is a stock one. Let's do it. Exclusive JP Morgan to restrict trading of some U.S. cannabis stocks from a a letter they obtained. All right.
2: Yep. Yep. What does that mean? Uh, It means that J.P. Morgan is no longer going to allow the trading in a lot of the publicly traded cannabis stocks uh, for no real good reason other than uh, they, they want. Okay, imagine that you wanted to acquire a position in a cannabis stock at a very favorable rate and you didn't want to pay what they were currently trading as. You would tell a whole bunch of the shareholders and you would force liquidation on them. So if you do this now, there's a lot of people that have to sell because JP Morgan's saying like you can't have it. So that might explain why the the stocks have hit like a 52 week low. And now that all these these last people and this this probably was told to uh, their account holders before this broke, especially if they were holding like enough. And that may explain the additional weakness in the stocks uh the the cannabis stocks, which like right now they're they're cheap, so uh, as cheap as they've been in fifty two weeks and you know it looks like they're going to have a continued monopoly in Illinois, <laughs> a continued monopoly in Ohio, a continued monopoly in New Jersey, a continued monopoly in New York, and if there's any of them in Virginia there as well, at least for like two years. So those are really the, they're out to such a far lead that you can't, you can't catch them, but maybe you wanted to get a better price. And so like, you know, you'd tell all your clients to get out, uh, cause that would force a whole bunch of selling. And if you force that amount of selling, the price goes down, but, um, that may not have been what happened. Uh, and so the – but there it is. The exchange-traded ha- fund, the MSOS, has uh, halved in value since hitting a peak in February. This this is classic, you know, um, sell-side pressure. When they tell you to get out and you have to move that many lots, you're going to push the price of a st- stock down or stock us. Uh, uh, it's not that people are buying less weed, but, you know um, – It's interesting. Everything's kind of manipulated in this industry, isn't it?
1: (laughs) That's what it looks like. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, as a lawyer, there's so many loopholes. How is that for you? That seems like there's a lot of opportunities, but then you're just watching shit like... Uh,
2: there'd be more opportunities if there was actually an industry here. If there, and this is the problem about living in Illinois, uh, if there was an industry, and we got, we hopefully will be like an operation here in six nine months. Uh, you know, at the at the cultivation uh, location um, that you know I, I will talk more about in the future. I guess I can talk more about like we're still in the capital race. Um, but that is just you know that one little area. Uh, if this was like a, a, a Michigan or if this was like Oklahoma or if this was like maybe how New Jersey or New York roll out or Virginia roll out, you can keep people from getting that license. You can make the license still be $1.4 million. And that keeps a lot of riffraff out. You can give the license wherever you want to give it to. Uh, And, and, you know, you just don't have to limit it as much as you have so that everything ends up in court. But that same thing kind of happened in Vegas where, or, or Nevada, where they had a very limited, competitive 2018 application round. Everybody sues in 2020. Huge global settlement. And, and then that's where they're at now. But it's, it's the industry, man. It's stupid. Hmm.
1: So I guess, I mean, if you're like a federal or like a U.S. politician not on the state level it kind of pays to keep it federally legal because everybody can restrict and make their own little rules so if you were from that state you can get a couple pennies because you can hack the business or not business the applications
2: Uh, perhaps but then like you know um I, I just I don't think that the uh, if schedule one status of cannabis is even right. It's just so wrong. And then, like, you're creating you're legalizing it. And while you're legalizing it, you're creating this swarmy kind of um, rigged system where you try to say one thing for PR reasons. And then other stuff happens. And, and then, you know, no one cares. It's it's weird. <laughs>
1: Well, I think that was the last story for today's cannabis legalization news. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We will see you on Wednesday or next Sunday.